I'm Timothy Putnam, and I'll be your host for the next hour. Each week, we gather right here to explore the foundations of our faith, to look at the implications of our faith on our daily lives, so that together, you and I can prepare to live outside the walls. It seems that there's only one topic of the day. Uh, everywhere you look, whether it be the secular media or the Catholic media or uh, the, the, the blogosphere, wherever you go, everyone's talking about the clerical abuse crisis in the Catholic Church. And that's, it's come upon us in three waves. First, we had the revelation of Archbishop McCarrick and his manifold sins over many years quickly followed by the grand jury report that came out of uh, Pennsylvania. And then most recently, we had this letter from the former nuncio of the United States, Archbishop Vigano, talking about uh, his experience and his perspective on how far up the, uh, the cover-up went, specifically regarding Archbishop McCarrick. And people are rightly upset. They are rightly uh, dismayed by these claims. Uh, and of course, it remains to be seen whether these claims are completely accurate or completely false or some mix in between. Uh, but it does bring up the fact that we need to to know this. We need to look into this. And yet, uh, this, I hope, is going to be the last week that we talk about it here because we can get so wrapped up in this and so wound up tightly in responding to this, this um, horrifying revelation, this cascade of revelations, that we can end up doing damage to our own spirits and to the church. Uh, remember, the people who praised Christ as he came into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday were, were the exact same people that on Good Friday were caught up in that mob mentality and calling for his crucifixion. And we have to be uh, humble we have to be deliberate. We have to be uh, pursuing holiness. Uh, but we have to, in all of this, not get caught up in the fervor. Uh, because that can be a very dangerous thing for our spirits. It can uh, fester uh, and, and, and embitter us. Uh, but it also can be dangerous for the church. I've, I've seen a number of people, uh, interestingly enough, calling for the Pope to resign uh, with uh, with all kinds of reasons that they think that this would work and why they think it would be a good thing and then we can finally move on. Here's the thing, my friends. The very moment that someone comes out and says the Pope should resign and starts this letter-writing campaign or whatever else they might try to do is the very moment that the Pope can no longer resign canonically. Canon law says that if a pope is to resign, that it cannot be because of any external pressure. Uh, and this is for our own safety as a flock, because can you imagine how easy it would be for, uh, for as there have been times in history, where a political power did not want the pope doing what he does, uh, as happened not too terribly long ago in Italy, as the, the Vatican was under siege, and the papal states were stripped away from, uh, from the Pope, and they wanted him gone. Well, it's at that moment that even if he were under pressure to succumb and to resign, it wouldn't be valid. It would not be a valid resignation, and so any conclave that followed would, would simply make uh, an anti-Pope. And so you and I uh, 
have to have our wits about us and continue to pray for the Pope. Continue to pray for him, not necessarily because we like him, if you don't, uh, but because he is the vicar of Christ. And so we pray that God would preserve him and that God would preserve uh, the image of Christ within him because he is there as the vicar of Christ standing uh, as, as his steward here on earth. So we pray that God would bless the Pope specifically because the only way that God will bless someone is by blessing them within his will. He's not going to bless us to do something outside of his will. And so it's very important for us that we maintain this understanding that we find our unity in the Catholic Church under the Pope. Uh, so the other thing that I want to uh, really look at, and, and I spent some time uh, contemplating this the last day or two, is our response as laid out in Scripture. In the book of 1 Corinthians, we see something very interesting. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 5, there's this long passage about how you treat a person who's currently engaged in sexual immorality. Uh, this person was in the Corinthian church and he was doing whatever he wanted and he uh, was not listening to correction and he continued in that way. And Paul says, be done with them. Send them out of the church. Uh, expel, he says, expel the immoral brother. And the purpose of this expulsion is medicinal because hopefully that very last thing is the person is now out of fellowship with the church is that he will see how very serious this is and would return to holiness. Uh, but otherwise it protects those within the church from scandal. Expel the immoral brother. But then he follows it immediately in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 saying, but don't take one another to court. Don't go into the secular courts because there surely is someone capable within the church of judging between you. Uh, don't air your dirty laundry out in the rest of the world. Now, of course, we have obligations in our time and our place to specifically when there are, when there are crimes being committed, that they, those have to be adjudicated by the secular courts. But on those things that there is no crime, there's just a strong disagreement, we should keep that in-house. And then he goes on to say this. He says, you know, and I'm retaking this out of the, the Jerusalem, uh, the Jerusalem Bible. Uh, he says, you know perfectly well that people who do wrong or who do evil will not inherit the kingdom of God. People of immoral lives, idolaters, adulterers, catamites, sodomites, thieves, misers, drunkards, slanders, and swindlers will never inherit the kingdom of God. But then he says, and such were some of you. He reminds us that we have to pursue holiness, but he also reminds us that we are recipients of God's grace and forgiveness. And we cannot judge someone based on the worst thing that they've done. We judge them based on their current pursuit of holiness. When we come back, we're going to have a conversation with Kendra Tierney. She blogs over at CatholicAllYear.com and is currently pushing for all of us to enter into a time of prayer and fasting, hashtag sackcloth and ashes. We'll be right back with that conversation right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the foundations and implications of our faith on daily life. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam. 
And as you know, the last couple of weeks, we have been talking about our response to the clerical abuse scandal that came out first with Cardinal McCarrick and then, uh, or Arch, now Archbishop McCarrick, and then the uh, the Philadelphia Grand Jury Report, and then now there's also the the letter from uh, the former Nuncio, Archbishop Vigano, and there's just a whole bunch of stuff swirling around that's just priming our emotions, uh, and we need to have a way to respond to it. And perhaps the best way that I have seen uh, on on the the intertubes, as they call them, the interwebs, uh, is from Twitter. I found this hashtag, sackcloth and ashes, and I went looking to find out where uh, where it started and who brought up the idea and uh, what the the goal of that person was. And and I found her. It's a uh, Someone that I've actually followed for some time, it's Kendra Tierney, who who blogs over at catholicallyear.com. Uh, it's a fantastic blog that we'll talk about here in just a second. Kendra, thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. So you are a mother of nine. Uh, you are uh, what my wife affectionately calls a mommy blogger. Uh, and she affectionately calls it that because she follows it religiously, as it were. Uh, and gets a lot of her ideas of, of saint costumes or of the ways that we celebrate feasts in the home from that blog. So first of all, thank you, uh, because we get a lot of really good recipes from you. Well, thank you so much. It's uh, It's been a fun community for me for many years now. So when you started it, you thought it was mainly going to be about uh, liturgy, and, and I'm sure that the, the main thought about blogging was, I'm going to blog about all the things that I love and all the things that are fun, this is not the kind of thing that you anticipated, this this movement to get people into uh, prayers of reparation for what's going on in the church today. Talk a little bit about um, the conversations that you had with, with people that brought you to the place where you launched this. Yeah, you are, you're absolutely right. It is definitely not what I had in mind when I started blogging, that I've always tended towards the fun and uh, the fun side of our faith and the, the, the fun traditions and being able to discover and share those with people. And my initial desire when all of this started coming out was just to, you know, suck my head into my shell like a turtle and just, uh, and not want to, not want to talk about it, not want to go on social media, not, not want to blog about it certainly and deal deal with everybody's emotions about it and my own but uh, you mentioned mommy bloggers and it was the it was the mommy blogger circle that 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 we kind of came up with this together my friend uh, Haley who writes the blog carrots for Michaelmas who has just had a baby and we were we were talking and she was saying that she felt like you know we had all written this was in a a Facebook group of um, of some other um, Catholic mom bloggers, and we had all written letters to our bishops, and now it was kind of like, now what? Now what can we do? Uh, and she said, I just feel like there's got to be something we can do. And my friend Bonnie, who writes the blog A Knotted Life, and I uh, said, all right, you just had a baby. We will figure this out. We're going to come up with something. So she uh, hit upon this idea of, of to meet this scandal with prayer and fasting, um, and I thought that that, you know, it's sort of 
like, uh, you know, light opened up and it just seemed like, yes, that, that is what we can do. And that's something that we can all do. And uh, so she and I wrote the, the uh, statement together and I made some images to go along with it. And I looked, looked more into it and, uh, and I had heard of reparation. I say the morning offering every morning and it talks about, you know, in reparation for my sins and, uh, and I had prayed the chaplet of reparation before, but I hadn't really looked into it too much as a concept, but all of a sudden it really sort of seemed to fit with, with this idea of sackcloth and, and ashes of fasting and prayer and acts of reparation. And so I made, uh, again, I made some graphic images, and uh, I uh, con started contacting other bloggers and contacting people with a large social media presence and, uh, and asking if they wanted to be a part of the launch of this. And that's when it, it really started surprising me how great the response was there. I was contacting um, uh, sites and and bloggers that were way out of my league as far as number of followers and like 80 percent of the people got back to me and said yes I want to be a part of this mm -hmm. we want to have some response and you know I think our culture is such that we are primed and ready to be a protesting culture we know how to write our bishops we know how to uh to to rally and and get people to a cause and and to be angry in the streets and yet there's something about us in this time where it's, uh, it's our own church. It's these people who have been our, our leaders and our shepherds. This wound is so close to home that there's a sense that there has to be more that I can do that will actually make a difference than, uh, than just writing a letter because we know that the letters do something, but there, you know, anytime we write a letter or any kind of uh, protesting, basically the goal is to make so much noise that it makes people uncomfortable and they change. And, and I think we realize with this that more is needed than, an, than just an exterior change. That there's, as Jesus talked about uh, with the person who is possessed, he says, this kind comes out only with prayer and with fasting. We recognize in some sense that, that this scourge that is among us right now is not something that we can just protest away, that there has to be some deep spiritual work that brings that about. Absolutely. And, and that the fact that we want to do something in our own personal life that can support the victims and something that can help our church, our communities, and ourselves so that we don't dissolve into anger and resentment and, you know, this feeling of powerlessness, that there is something important and efficacious that we can do and, and that we can do it individually in our own homes. And, and it will, it's something that can strengthen our church and strengthen ourselves um, as well as the, you know, active reparation aspect of it. We're talking with Kendra Tierney, who blogs over at CatholicAllYear.com. I tend to think of, um, as, I, as I look at this crisis unfolding in our midst, that I see people who are getting just so very uh, angry and so very vocal. And, and it's almost, as I look at it, like the anger is an infection that's trying to fight off something in the body, but at the same time, that infection is also causing harm to the body. 
And as I look at this prayer and this fasting and the calling people to, uh, to, to holiness, calling people to spend time in front of the blessed sacrament, calling people to do uh, above and beyond that primal response, that that's like the white blood cells rushing to the, the wound and actually bringing healing, that both are responses uh, to the body of Christ, but one of them actually will, will bring healing to the whole body as well as allow us to feel as though we're actually accomplishing something. Absolutely. And it, you know, it's that feeling of powerlessness that, that so easily becomes anger. And for me, this was just a way to, to direct that, um, to direct, to direct that feeling of wanting to do something. Uh, And I like that, that it is a reclaiming of ancient church tradition that we are not often in this day and age entrusted with things like fasting. Um, People don't talk about it anymore. Um, And it's a powerful tool. Um, And it's something that has sort of fallen into disuse. And I think that it's something that that we can handle. Um, You know, there used to be so many more fasting days. Uh, We used to fast every weekday of Lent plus the uh, vigils of major feast days. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, we've lost that as, as a cultural uh, Catholic practice, but we can do it individually. And, you know, we're, I, I like to tell my kids, you know, we're, we're tougher than they think we are. They think we've gone soft, but right. we can handle this. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I, I look at, um, I look at all that's that's gone on with this this call to holiness, and and I see uh, just such grace in the way that things have come out, um, and and it, almost in the timing because it's so interesting to look. Here we are in uh, the year B of the lectionary, and this is the year that we read John instead of reading uh, the Synoptics uh, because we get through Mark really quick, and so they tag John on, and. Right now, the readings are just spot on all throughout the week for what we're dealing with right now, Uh, talking about shepherds that have abandoned the flock and talking about God uh, shepherding us himself and and talking about the the wisdom of God being uh, foolishness to man and and how, uh, how much beyond where we are God is. And so for me, it's been a great consolation to see that uh, somehow, uh, and, you know, I know that God didn't cause this and I know that God isn't, you know, back there micromanaging when they made the three year cycle saying, OK, well, I need to make sure it happens here. And yet somehow the Holy Spirit is speaking to us very clearly through these readings and bringing, I think, some great amount of consolation saying, yes, you may feel helpless, but here I am and I am not helpless. I am the great healer. I am the the way, the truth, and the life that's going to bring light to this darkness and that's going to uh, to bring transparency where things have been hidden. And, and so for me, it's been a, a great comfort to know that just reading these readings, that God wasn't surprised by this uh, and Absolutely. that ultimately he's going to preserve his church. The gates of hell will not prevail against them. Yeah, I... Um, 
we uh, the the on, at uh, the daily mass readings on the feast of the queenship of mary which was the day that we started the sackcloth and ashes campaign was the long reading from ezekiel just tearing in to the bad shepherds who were yeah. um who were pasturing themselves and and allowing all the ter all terrible things to happen to their sheep and i it was you know, it's this long reading that really pulled no punches. And I just couldn't believe it. It felt like such a providential moment. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I couldn't agree more. The readings just again and again have really been a source of, of comfort. And, you know, this feeling both that, that yes, the gates of hell won't prevail but also that it's easy to forget about God's justice as we focus more on his love, but both are perfect, right? God's love is perfect and complete, and yet so is his justice. And uh, it's coming for people who, uh, who remain unrepentant. So. God is not mocked. We're talking with Kendra Tierney. She blogs over at catholicallyear.com. If you're on Twitter, you need to type in the hashtag sackcloth and ashes and join that movement. Spend some time in prayer and fasting. When we come back, we're going to continue this conversation and talk specifically about acts of reparation. It's a great conversation. We'll be right back right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the foundations and implications of our faith on daily life. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam, and we're talking today about what we can do in the middle of, of this scandal as we watch uh, the, the church and all of the, the dark deeds that have been done by men splashed across the pages of, of our media, both the secular media and the religious media, and there's so many different takes going on of of who should do what and how we should respond. And the best response was found by me. I found it on Twitter under the hashtag sackcloth and ashes. We're talking today with Kendra Tierney, who blogs at catholicallyear.com, uh, who is one of the, the what would you call this a, a, a movement? Would the, a founder, a, 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 the, the person who came up with the idea, uh, the, the spearhead moment. Kendra, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. You are a busy person as a mom. Yes, yes, I am. <laughs> uh, yeah, but uh, but again, you know, when you look at uh, at where we are in the church, uh, moms especially want to get this sorted out. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I want to talk a little bit about you, you came up with this idea with a couple of other people to bring it forward. This didn't just happen. You don't just come up with the idea, hey, uh, we go to mass once a week and uh, we put on fun costumes and, and eat special desserts on feast days in the church. And, oh, hey, let's let's fast in reparation. You actually have a culture of prayer in your home, uh, evidenced most recently on Instagram by a fantastic chapel that you have put together in your home that makes me uh, have to go to confession because I'm coveting just a little bit. Uh, <laughs> Talk about this uh, this culture of prayer that that already exists in your home that I 
that, uh, from my eyes, birthed this movement of going to prayer and reparation. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, it, it's something that I, I always tell people that I don't know where my faith would be if I didn't have to explain it to my kids because I keep just dis- I, I discover the answers to all of these questions that I didn't learn about necessarily growing up, but my kids ask me, and so I look into it. I've been motivated to be better about prayer because I want my kids to be in the habit of prayer. So, um, so that's something that we do as a family. And when we moved into our new home, we knew that we wanted to have a space set apart. And we, as a family have spent almost two years now, uh, fixing up this kind of tumble down big house that we moved into and we saved the chapel for last. And we're, um, I feel like I am a much better painter than I was two years ago. So (laughs) (laughs) I now have the skills to execute my vision for the chapel. You talked in in the end of the last segment um, as you're bringing up the idea that the, the church used to require more of us. And I understand why the church took down the requirements because they don't want to cause someone who is not able uh, to fast to say, well, that's the requirement you have to. Uh, And yet we tend to be people who do only what's required. And so while the church is trying to be merciful to the weakest among us, the strongest among us are like, oh, oh, I don't have to fast anymore. Well, fantastic. And you you said to your children, we're stronger than we, than they think we are. Uh, And so a lot of parents would think, oh man, uh, how am I going to, okay, we pray at bedtime, we pray at meals. I don't know that my kids have the attention span to get into uh, into deeper prayer. Uh, and I think in some ways we're saying I personally as a parent don't have that attention span. Uh, but how did you start as you began introducing this this prayer regimen to your children? What, what did that look like as you began those first steps of helping your children grow in the faith and grow in prayer? So I think that that a routine, specifically for prayer, a routine is great. And so uh, we uh, are a homeschooling and brick and mortar schooling family, but for a long time we were just homeschooling. And so the beginning of our homeschool day, the kids all knew we would always start with the morning offering and the guardian angel prayer. Uh, they, you know, my alarm goes off on my phone at noon to remind us to to pray the Angelus, because if I don't hear bells, I'm not going to remember to do it. Um, And we do evening prayers together as a family. I think the um, learning to pray the rosary as a family is a particular challenge for a lot of people. It it was for us too, because it's long. Um, And we started that in the car and kids are all strapped in. They got nothing better to do. Uh, And, so we started off praying the rosary in the car and the kids would, uh, anytime we were going to drive any, uh, any drive that was going to be longer than, than 20 minutes or half an hour, we would always say the rosary. And so now the kids are really used to that. They know that if we're going on any sort of a long drive, we'll always say the rosary. But and, once they were used to it, we were able to transition to being able to do it at home too. And for those who might not know what each of these prayers are, the, the morning offering is, is a paragraph. The, the Angelus is uh, just little antiphons in between a few Hail Marys. These are not difficult or lengthy prayers. Uh, these are things that can very easily be implemented without uh, too much stress and without a huge attention span. Absolutely. And, and again, 
I started learning these prayers because I wanted my kids to know them and, and I want it to, uh, and uh, tying it to times of the day, not only breaks up our family, you know, it, it breaks up our, our day and helps refocus us at, uh, at different points during the day uh, on, on God, but it also is habit forming. And I hope, you know, my oldest is 16 now, so we've only got a couple years left uh, to, to influence him on a daily basis. And my hope is that when he wakes up in the morning off at college, he will think that it's time to do the morning offering. We're talking with Kendra Tierney of CatholicAllYear.com. And of course, as you grow in this habit of prayer, and more than just the motions of the prayer, but grow in this habit of connecting with Jesus first thing in the morning and throughout the day, then you're going to come to a place when when your heart is so deeply wounded as, as it is for so many right now in the midst of this uh, clerical sex abuse crisis, your first thought is going to be to go and offer that to Christ, uh, which is what we do through prayer and fasting uh, for reparation. Now, on this blog that you have on your on your website, catholicallyear.com, you, you mentioned that some people have a difficult time with the concept of reparation because we think of reparation as I need to make reparation for my sins or for something that I have done, and I'm the victim here. I didn't do this. Why do I need to offer reparation? So why don't you unpack this concept of reparation for us? Yeah, that's that's exactly right. That the a lot of people's initial reaction is, you know, I didn't abuse anybody. I don't have to make reparation. Or they think, well, I don't want to take culpability away from these these priests who have sinned. I don't want to, you know, a lot of people are not at the place where yet where they can pray for these enemies. Mm-hmm. And that is very understandable. But fortunately, that is not what acts of reparation are. And uh, the way that I have explained it to my kids and to a lot of other people is imagine that your grandma got mugged and somebody ran off with her purse. So you'd rush over there and you'd say, Grandma, I'm so sorry that that happened to you. Uh, here, let me run out and buy you buy some of the things to replace what was stolen from you. Well, doing that certainly doesn't take away the culpability of the mugger and it doesn't do anything to, uh, you know, to, to help him or take away any punishment that he would receive. It's just that you want to offer comfort mm-hmm. to the, to the victim of this crime. And when we think about it, we know that, that the, the people who suffered the abuse obviously suffered so much and all of us as a church are suffering from what happened but God suffers more because he deserves nothing but, but our honor and respect and love. And especially his priests owe that to him. Well, I guess not, especially we all equally owe him that, but, but this was a grave, uh, uh, you know, the, these grave acts were against God too. And we can rush to God and offer him comfort the same way that we would to a person. And that's what acts of reparation are. It's we can offer our sacrifices and our prayers mm-hmm. to God. You know, I, I don't remember where I got this. It may have been from one of the Father Michael Gately books, but talking about 
while we're in adoration before the Blessed Sacrament, that uh, Christ in the sacrament is is that sacrifice that was made once for all in perpetuity on the cross, and that all of these sins that we're talking about right now, they were the wounds that put him on the cross, a wound deeper than any physical wound that he could have received. And that when we go and we sit with Christ in adoration, it's as if we are sitting at the foot of that cross, uh, the, the bridge gapped between time where we're sitting there at that moment when he's been deserted by everyone else. And we just sit there with him to console his heart in the midst of that sorrow of the cross. And oh, yeah, absolutely. That's beautiful. And, and that, so for me, that's, that's what we do here in this reparation uh, is not only are you going to go buy things to help replace them for your grandmother, but that's a traumatic event. You're going to sit with her and listen to her until she is comforted and calm and ready to move forward. Yes, absolutely. And uh, I, I love, I've always loved that vision of, of who is there with Jesus at the foot of the cross. Mm-hmm. Will I run away like, like the other disciples who had many excellent reasons for for running off but can i be one of the ones who stayed can i be one of those women at the foot of the cross um and this is an opportunity when it 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 would be understandable for us to run off the world expects it of us but can we be those uh, you know among those at the foot of the cross can we stay and can we recognize that you know i know that some people are just deeply their their faith is shaken and they don't know if they can can trust and can go back to mass and and I completely understand that I understand the the deep wounds that this kind of thing would cause um, and so for me this picture of going and consoling the heart of Christ is is one of those things that keeps keeps me here because I'm here I came into the Catholic Church as a convert because of Christ in the Eucharist and and so for me, it's not about anything that uh, those in leadership do. It's about my ability to connect with Christ in his person uh, there in the sacrament on the altar. Absolutely. And, and this, is the, this idea of acts of, of reparation is a very traditional Catholic practice. It's based in doctrine. It's based in our understanding of the body of Christ in our understanding of the efficaciousness of prayer. Um, and again, it's part of that cultural heritage that, that we have lost a little bit. And, and I think that, uh, I think it's important to, to sort of reclaim some of those things and, and find strength in them. Find out more information at catholicallyear.com and join into this time of prayer and fasting. Even though the official start date has started, there's nothing official about this. This is your relationship with God. This is your time of prayer and fasting. You can start it at any time. Join in this important work of praying and fasting and going to adoration for reparation for the damage done by the clerical abuse crisis. Join us over on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle's at Outside the Walls. There's much more to come right after this break. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the foundations and implications of our faith on daily life. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam. It's been a difficult few weeks, as here on the show we have been trying to address, as best as we can, the uh, the clerical abuse crisis that's been brought again to the forefront with these recent uh, recent allegations, the revelations of uh, our, what happened with Archbishop McCarrick, the grand jury report from the last 70 years in Pennsylvania, and of course, the recent letter by Archbishop Vigano. Uh, it can seem a little overwhelming, but it's also important to realize that this is an old wound. This is not a new thing. Uh, I looked at, uh, saw something from CARA, the Center for Applied Research in the Apostolate at cara.georgetown.edu, that talked about the what's going on with these new allegations, that they're consistent with the historical pattern, uh, and that the majority of these allegations uh, are from priests uh, who are uh, at retirement age, that the, the, the average birth around uh, when these priests were born was around 1933, uh, the average year of ordination was around 1961, uh, and so we're seeing a, a marked decline. Now, that's not to dismiss this as, as unimportant. It is very important, and it's important that we listen to the victims, that we uh, recognize them and validate them and stand with them, uh, because just the fact that it happened so long ago does not mean that, it, that it, we should gloss over it. We shouldn't gloss over it. We should be there for them and, and, and stand in solidarity with them. And then we should go to our parish uh, and we should talk with the safe environment coordinator. Every diocese has one. Every parish should have one. Uh, and talk to them about what we can do to make sure this doesn't happen again. How can we implement the policies, not just to go through the, the trainings that the diocese provides and requires for volunteers, but how can we help our parish implement those policies in such a way that someone who would seek to uh, to make use of that power and to abuse their position uh, that they wouldn't have an opportunity to, whether that be a volunteer or a priest or anyone else, that we create that safe environment uh, with our understanding of these things and with uh, with our implementation of the policies, even at our own individual parish level. Uh, you can make the difference. If this is something that just really frustrates you, go to your parish and and help by volunteering to make sure that this kind of thing doesn't happen again. We had a great conversation today with Kendra Tierney calling us all to prayer and fasting in reparation for the sins that we now face uh, in in the, the wider church community. Uh, she has more information at her blog, Catholic All Year. You can also go onto Twitter and put in the hashtag sackcloth and ashes and find more posts about that. We're going to turn now to our reading from Scripture and from church history. And as we mentioned in the interview with, with Kendra, the scripture readings and even the the readings from church history and the breviary have been really spot on uh, that the Holy Spirit somehow worked it out uh, and has provided this these words of comfort for us as we go through this very difficult time. Our first reading, our reading from scripture today comes from the book of First Corinthians. Brothers and sisters, Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel and not with the wisdom of human eloquence, so that the cross of Christ might not be emptied of its meaning. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. 
For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the learning of the learned I will set aside. Where is the wise one? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made the wisdom of the world foolish? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not come to know God through wisdom, it was the will of God through the foolishness of the proclamation to save those who have faith. For Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we proclaim Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those who are called, Jews and Greeks alike, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. That reading comes from the book of 1 Corinthians, and we ought to be careful that we are not ones who are seeking after a sign, or that we are not those who are looking solely for the wisdom of this age. Uh, all of those things are, are attractive. They are attractive, and we can easily get caught up in that mob calling for those things, and yet Christ calls us to look for a different way, to look to the cross, this, this um, weapon of his warfare, which is the most humble and humiliating weapon of all, the one that he gave himself for us on. Today's reading from Church History comes from a commentary on Joel by St. Jerome. Return to me with all your heart, and show a spirit of repentance with fasting, weeping, and mourning, so that while you fast now, later you may be satisfied. While you weep now, later you may laugh. While you mourn now, you may someday enjoy consolation. It is customary for those in sorrow or adversity to tear their garments. The gospel records that the high priest did this to exaggerate the charge against the Lord and Savior. We read that Paul and Barnabas did so when they heard words of blasphemy. I bid you not to tear your garments, but rather to rend your hearts, which are laden with sin, like wineskins, unless they have been cut open, they will burst of their own accord. After you have done this, return to the Lord your God, from whom you have been alienated by your sins. Do not despair of his mercy, no matter how great your sins, for great mercy will take away great sins. For the Lord is gracious and merciful and prefers the conversion of a sinner rather than his death. Patient and generous in his mercy, he does not give in to human impatience but is willing to wait a long time for our repentance. So extraordinary is the Lord's mercy in the face of evil that if we do penance for our sins, he regrets his own threat and does not carry out against us the sanctions he had threatened. So by the changing of our attitude, he himself is changed. But in this passage, we should interpret evil to mean not the opposite of virtue, but affliction. As we read in another place, sufficient for the day are its own evils. And again, if there is evil in the city, God did not create it. In like manner, given all that we have said above, that God is kind and merciful, patient, generous with his forgiveness, and extraordinary in his mercy toward evil, lest the magnitude of his clemency make us lax and negligent, 
he adds this word through the prophet. Who knows whether he will not turn and repent and leave behind him a blessing? In other words, he says, I exhort you to repentance because it is my duty, and I know that God is inexhaustibly merciful. As David says, have mercy on me, God, according to your great mercy, and in the depths of your compassion blot out all my iniquities. But since we cannot know the depths and the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God, I will temper my statement, expressing a wish rather than taking anything for granted. And I will say, who knows whether he will not turn and repent. Since he says who, it must be understood that it is impossible or difficult to know for sure. To these words, the prophet adds, offerings and libations for the Lord our God. What he is saying to us, in other words, is that God, having blessed us and forgiven our sins, we will then be able to offer sacrifice to God. That reading comes from a commentary on the book of Joel by St. Jerome. And this, I think, is so important. I tried to get to this in the first segment, and I don't know how clearly I ran up against the the break, and so I don't know how clearly this got out. Uh, God is calling us to repentance individually, Because, frankly, I know what I go to confession for. I know what I sit in front of the priest and receive mercy for uh, two to four, uh, every two to four weeks. I know that I need the mercy of God and I need his great mercy. And so I'm cautious, even as I turn and I look at these people who have brought such pain upon the church. I'm cautious to make any judgment upon them in terms of the spiritual realm. I've heard some people make some determinations about them spiritually because uh, I want God's mercy for them in eternity, right? Uh, as they have as they have done things that put them in front of law enforcement, there are some temporal punishments that they're going to have to go through. Uh, but we always cry to God that he would have mercy on the sinner because as we looked at in the book of 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 6 in the first segment, we fall into the categories of those people that we condemn. Such were some of you, such was I, such were you before we came into the knowledge of Christ and received his mercy. You and I uh, can look at ourselves and judge ourselves by our our motives now, uh, by our intentions, by what we want to do uh, and we say, you know what, I'm, I'm doing pretty well. But we tend to judge others by the actions that we see. And so we have to be humble and mindful that God is calling them to repentance just as much as he's calling us to repentance. The safest thing for us to do in response to all of that's going on is to pray God's mercy for the victim, to pray God's mercy and justice for the perpetrator and to pray God's mercy for the whole church that we would be signs of his grace and mercy to a very hurting world that surrounds us. That's all the time we have for today. Today's show is brought to you by Brandy Carey and all of those who support the show through Patreon. They get all kinds of extra content, including an extra segment with our guest today. Go over to OutsideTheWalls.com, click the Patreon link and join their numbers. Until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.